I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological reading of the Gospels, today we'll be looking at portions of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. So today we'll be reading Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 30, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 26, Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 37, down through chapter 22, verse 30, and John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44, down through chapter 13, verse 35. So here's where we are with regard to Jesus' ministry. He's teaching in Jerusalem, and this is just a couple of days before his crucifixion. Later in this passage, Jesus and his disciples will observe the Passover feast on the eve of his crucifixion. We begin in Luke chapter 21, verses 37 and 38, John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50, where Jesus is preaching in the temple. Luke 21, 37. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now Luke shortens his account, and he just records that Jesus preached in the temple each day during the gathering in Jerusalem for the Passover. John, on the other hand, specifies that Jesus preached the prerequisite to eternal life, and that's believing on Jesus, trusting Jesus as Savior. He makes the contrast between abiding in light and darkness, and then issues a stern warning regarding judgment on those who reject Jesus as Savior. There's a solemn warning applicable to all in John chapter 12, verse 48. It says this, He who rejects me and does not receive my words... As that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. We'll all be judged by the message of Jesus. Now, just a few hours later, Jesus would make this statement in John fourteen six: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These two verses stand on their own without commentary. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. God has not provided an alternate means of salvation It's only through Jesus Christ as Savior. We see in the next section of Scripture that the Sanhedrin conspires against Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 5, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and Luke chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. 
First, Matthew 26, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now over to Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And finally, Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. So the Jewish leaders were unable to locate Jesus except for the times when the crowds were gathered around him. They seemed to always lose respect in the eyes of the Jewish masses as a result of those confrontations they had with Jesus on these occasions. They were just not mentally equipped for those verbal duels with the Son of God. Now, not wanting to go head-to-head with Jesus in front of a Passover crowd, these Jews conspired to capture Jesus after the crowds are cleared out of Jerusalem. They were afraid of the common people. Matthew and Mark both use the same Greek word, dalos. It means it's a word to describe the proposed method for capturing and killing Jesus, and that word means trickery. It's used by Matthew in Matthew 26, 4, and Mark in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. So here's the dilemma for these Jewish leaders. Who can we find to lead us to Jesus at a time when he's not surrounded by crowds of adoring Jews? Well, we'll find our culprit later on in these three chapters, and his name is Judas Iscariot. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, and Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, we read about the supper at a leper's house. Now, by the way, more detailed notes can be found on this in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and we'll speak more about that in just a few moments. Matthew and Mark have just made reference to the time in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, 1, as being two days before the Passover. While they continue their narratives into this passage, neither Matthew nor Mark declare when the supper at the leper's house actually took place. In fact, we know from John chapter 12, verse 1, that the supper was held in Bethany, and it was four days prior to this six days before the Passover. It must be concluded, therefore, that the Matthew and Mark accounts are not following this event sequentially. All three passages regarding the event are shown in the section below, and we will read all three. But the detailed notes on this, they may be found on the passage in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. That's where I wrote the notes on May 1st. So Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. 
For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now over to Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, because we read the other two passages, and even though we read John 12 back on May 1st, we're going to read it again just so that we can see the context, because John shares more detail. Verse 1, John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. If you'd like to see or hear the commentary on this passage of Scripture, along with Matthew and Mark's account, then go to my notes on John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I list all three passages there once again, and I will give you the commentary regarding the background and what significance this occasion has. We see in the next section of Scripture that Judas makes a deal. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, and Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6. First, Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now Mark chapter 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. 
Now Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Now, there had been a great concern among the Jewish leadership regarding the reaction of the people to capturing Jesus. Judas provides a solution when he goes to the Jewish leaders and offers to take them to Jesus away from the multitudes so that he can be taken prisoner quietly. Luke chapter 22 verse 6 says, So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Well, this is great news to the Jewish leaders. With this betrayal, they can keep the whole issue out of the news. At least that's what they thought. For those who may think that Judas somehow made his decision on some ill-conceived noble principles, well, think again. Look at Matthew's account in verse 15 where Judas says to the Jewish leaders, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? The only principle that Judas displayed here was greed. We see the preparation for the last Passover in Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 19, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 16, and Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. First, Matthew 26, verse 17. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, Mark's account in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare, that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city, and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Jesus and his disciples observed Passover on the day identified as now on the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover lamb. If you want to know more about that, see the note regarding the observance of the Passover in Jesus' day. It's on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading. It's obvious that some people observe the actual meal on the evening of Nisan 14, that's when the lamb was actually slain. While others observed the Passover meal on the following evening, Nisan 15. 
And the box that I've provided, the information box, gives you an explanation of why and and where and, and how and so forth. The Passover meal, the last one, is recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 and 21. Mark chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 16. And John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. All four gospel writers. First, let's read Matthew 26, verses 20 and 21. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Mark 14, beginning in verse 17. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Now Luke records it in Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And finally, John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Well, Jesus sits down for the Passover meal with all twelve of his disciples, and he proclaims that this is his hour, his suffering hour has come. In addition, he prophesies that one of the disciples will betray him. Now, it's a little confusing when you look at the four Gospels to get the correct sequence of events for that evening. So, here's what we derive by looking at four, all four Gospel accounts. First of all, the Passover meal with reference to the betrayal is seen in the uh, first instance in Matthew 26, 20, and 21, the passage that we just read. Only Luke fails to mention Jesus' comment about the betrayal here. Secondly, there's a foot washing only recorded in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 20. And Judas, by the way, participates in this foot washing. Then they return to the table in John 13, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus identifies the betrayer in verse 26 of that chapter. Judas then leaves the room in John 13, 30. And then they have communion also. We call it the Lord's Supper. And that's recorded in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30, Mark 14, 22 to 26, and Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20. Judas is not present for the communion. So let's read about the washing of the feet in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 20. John's the only one who records this. Now this is a carryover from the preceding verse, John chapter 13, verse 3. And we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. To Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Here it's after the Passover supper when Jesus does something that obviously surprises the disciples. Well, at least it surprises Peter. He washes their feet. It's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the institution of the Lord's Supper, communion, after the Passover meal, but John doesn't record that. Instead, John records the event that follows after that, the foot washing. And the other three gospel authors, well, they don't record that. Peter finds this foot washing ritual very unsettling. There's obviously no question here in his mind regarding the lordship of Jesus. In typical Peter style, he thinks it's not appropriate for Jesus to wash his feet. On the other hand, there's Judas. We saw in this passage in verse 2 that he's already determined to betray Jesus. It's significant to note that Jesus is promoting the demonstration of humility among the disciples with this act, as he says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This act takes on perspective when we recognize that the conversation about who's the greatest in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30, which we'll look at in a few moments, takes place at the very same setting, the same time. By recognizing that these two events are tied together, we see that this served as a unique lesson on humility for the disciples at that time and is not an act intended to be observed down through the ages as an ordinance like baptism or communion. Both baptism and communion commemorate Jesus' sacrifice, our relationship to the Lord, while the washing of feet on this occasion was for the purpose of teaching a lesson on authority to the disciples. It occurs to me that the foot-washing episode six days earlier must have been looming in the disciples' minds as this event was taking place. And then we find Judas is identified as the betrayer in the next section of Scripture, Matthew chapter 26, verses 22 through 25, Mark chapter 14, verses 19 to 21, and John chapter 13, verses 21 through 35. First, Matthew chapter 26, verse 22. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. 
Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Now, John records a lot on this, beginning in John chapter 13, verse 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, John's gospel gives the most detail here. Jesus proclaims to the twelve that one of them will betray him. They begin to ask among themselves who this would be. Jesus clearly identifies Judas in John's gospel by giving him the word right there at the supper table. This identification apparently isn't completely clear to the other disciples when Jesus sends Judas away to go about his betrayal business. We know this from verses 28 and 29 in John's account. Incidentally, the identification of one of the disciples in verse 23, which is called one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, that's a reference to John himself, the one who happened to write this gospel. He's clearly identified as such in John chapter 21, verses 20 through 25. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 in this passage are foundational verses for several exhortations in the epistles regarding the attitude of believers toward one another. Notice what Jesus says here on this very subject. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simply put, believers are to be known by the fact that they demonstrate love toward other believers. Then we see the Lord's Supper instituted in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30, Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 26, and Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20. First, Matthew 26, verse 26. 
And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, Luke chapter 22, verse 17. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So here's where our ordinance began. All three synoptic gospels detail the event that followed their Passover meal that night. However, only Luke includes the words of Jesus in verse 19, do this in remembrance of me. Paul further adds support to the continual observance of communion by believers when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. While no interval between observances is specified, it appears that the disciples in the book of Acts observed communion on a weekly basis. And maybe each time they met, this seems to be indicated in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, when it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. However, there's no correct interval mandated for the observance of this ordinance, the Lord's Supper. Jesus declares that the bread is a picture of his body and the drink a picture of his shed blood. All three accounts make this point very clearly. Jesus makes a very clear statement regarding the covenant represented by this action. It's called the New Covenant. The Greek word for covenant there is diatheke, and it's interchangeably translated covenant or testament in the New Testament. It's important to recognize that the Old Covenant is the Mosaic Law. The New Covenant is salvation by grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christians today get a little confused when they fail to differentiate the two covenants. Matthew in verse 30 and Mark verse 26 in their respective accounts report that this first communion was concluded with the singing of a hymn. It is likely that this was the singing of one of the songs found between Psalm 113 and Psalm 118. Jewish tradition tells us that these were songs that were sung as part of the Passover celebration. Now we get to that, who's the greatest discussion? Luke records that in Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 21. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. 
Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. As the disciples are there talking about the identity of the betrayer, they wander into a discussion about who's the greatest among them. John doesn't record this discussion, but it's interesting that the foot-washing ceremony happens at the same sitting. It's logical to assume that Jesus' words when he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet in John chapter 13, verse 14, that those words are spoken to emphasize the servant component rather than the leadership component of being one of Jesus' disciples. One more aspect of this is interesting. John doesn't record the who's the greatest discussion, but he does record the foot washing, which I believe is related. John also doesn't record another incident which took place some time back, as was recorded in Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10. On that occasion, it was John himself and his brother James who sought some guarantees about their future place in the coming kingdom. They even used their mama as their agent on that occasion. Jesus used that occasion to emphasize serving as the essential quality of discipleship back then as well. Incidentally, on that occasion, the other disciples, it says, were greatly displeased with the two brothers. This competition for ruling supremacy among the twelve had a basis in Jesus' previous teaching. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, these words, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But wait, there's more. We see the new Jerusalem, which is established in Revelation chapter 21. And look at verse 14 of that chapter. It says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So who does get to be the big man among the twelve? Well, of course, Jesus. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.